It's go time. You are listening live to Quick Kicks, a presentation of Third Down Gamble. Welcome everyone to the podcast, Don Charbon, along with a very special guest from the Canadian Football League, Steve Daniel. Steven, awesome to have you on the show. I was so looking forward to this, and now you're finally here. Oh, I love it. I, I love talking football, and especially after the game comes over. <laughs> There's time to, to enjoy it. Yeah. How was the uh, the week going into Hamilton? How much extra effort does a Grey Cup mean for you? Quite a bit, actually, because there's so much history associated with the game that what you want to do is bring it out but in the context of the way the game is today. So the game changes, and lots of people don't account for that. So just figuring that out is a big part of the, of the process. And and what way do you see that? Well, if you take today's game, for example, and you look at the way a team goes about picking up first downs, gaining yards, keeping the ball, habits, if you analyze them really carefully, you can see the way they call their plays. You can anticipate in advance what's coming. Our officials want to know that. That's one example of what might happen that our fans might not know. We try to help them anticipate what to expect on certain plays. And then there's also the historical side of it. How would this regular season going into a great cup compared to previous ones. And of course, this year, the offense was down. So I, I think I spent the two weeks after the regular season trying to explain that. Now, why? It's one thing to say, oh, there's less points and all that kind of stuff. But why? What's going on inside our game that, that, that causes that? And I think I have a pretty good understanding of it. You've got so many comparators. You go all the way back to what we would say, I guess, is the modern era, post-World War II. Even touchdowns were evaluated more in the 50s by one point. So that would skew numbers. And then we have such a focus on passing now. Everything changes. That's just it. The constant in our game is changed. So if you look at, say, the Riders, for example, the way that they go about their offense is really different than Montreal than it is from Winnipeg. To know the patterns of the clubs, you kind of see the trajectory that our game is going. And I think it's clear, after all the analysis I've done, that most of our best players, more of them than usual, are on the defensive side of the ball. The Riders' defense is really something. So is Winnipeg's, Hamilton's. And that, of course, affects the way our game is viewed. And, and that's one of the, the uh, jobs that I have to explain to our management, okay, this is what's going on. And then we react to that and uh, working with the rules committee to guide them. And uh, that's one of the parts of the job I love the most. I didn't realize that you had that kind of input. I've been associated with the rules committee for quite a number of years. And if you remember in the mid 2010s, we changed the rule around illegal contact. You could only interfere with a receiver for 10 yards downfield, and then we changed it to five. But that was at the low point of our offense. If you look at, I developed this process, kind of an algorithm, where you take all the things that are key to our game and you put them together into a little program. And what comes out is an index of, of the attractiveness of our game. And it dropped to its lowest point in our history in 2014. And it built right back up again. But nowadays, it's curving back a little bit, and I think for better reasons. And so that's where the rules committee can say, okay, what can we do about this? The whole idea is to give them innovative solutions. 
and, and that's part of the job. And I'll give you a, a specific example. They said, Steve, we wanna change the convert from 10 yards to something farther uh, to make it not so automatic. And they said, where should we put it? And my answer was, surprise them. And I said, well, it's not so much where you wanna put it. What result do you want? And they said, well, we want it to be 85%. I said, we'll put it at the scrimmage at the 25 and have the kick be 32 yards. I said, really? Can we think that way? And I said, you should. And then, of course, the kickers. I also warned them the kickers would react, and they would practice from 32 yards to death, and it came right back up again. <clears throat> that leads to other questions. Why was field goal percentage so far down this year? So those are the fun things to really look at and, and provide answers to our rules makers and guide them. And behind the data, that's really what it's for. Statistics is misunderstood at times and that what you're trying to do is help a team operate but our league function as a league my satisfaction comes from the fact that i don't think the nfl has anything on us that we can do it for ourselves and uh that feels good i'm just fascinated by all of this it's almost like a symbiosis the teams want to do something you look at the data you come back to them and say this may work this may not work here are the problems here are the the outcomes that you may expect. Yeah, I'll go through and say, okay, here's a team, doesn't matter which. And I can say to them, look, on first down, first and 10, you're choosing to run 75% of the time. This team has more balance. So if you look at Winnipeg's first half on Sunday, it's fascinating. They had the ball on first down. I have to vaguely remember the exact numbers, but they, I think they had 11 first down opportunities. They ran eight of them and they didn't get very far. Harris wasn't as effective. In the second half, their balance was much better. That's the way I look at the game. And as I live, I live audit every play and I have a, a partner now, Jeff Creever, um, who's joined me and Jeff is, is terrific. And between the two of us, we audit the game to make sure, A, that the statistics are correct and follow the rule book but also to pull this analytics out of, out of the game. And so you can turn around and say to Winnipeg or, or Saskatchewan, your average pa pass depth is only six yards or three yards. Saskatchewan's pass depth is far shorter than anyone else's. But because that's Cody's strength, I'm sure you saw or heard some of the numbers that Rob would have been talking about, Rob Vanstone, that you weren't completing any passes deep. And, and that's something the clubs know. And if you could show them the data, then they can react to that. So that's almost, in a sense, a mission statement that it's not only statistics for the media and to give them something to sort of bring forward to the f fan base, but it's also you're giving feedback to the team saying, look, if you want to change this, this is how you are now. You have to think about this. I, I've done that many times. I've gone to, I think it's four or five different CFL cities and met with their coaching staff, their scouts, um, their football operations department, essentially, and say, here's what I think you are. And, and I can show you this data and that data. And they say, well, what are we like compared to others? And so in the stats this year, I put this extra page in. Jeff and I kind of put our heads together and said, what would work? And so now there's a page that says, here's your club relative to the other ones and the league-wide average. And that's a guide. And I talked to one particular coach and he said, you're going to get me fired with this. I said, well, it's not really my intention. 
and you got a pretty good team, so I wouldn't worry about me. My current boss, Greg Dick, treats me with incredible respect. And he says, we want you to be here based on your ability to the place today and to make sure things right, but also for your vision of what we're doing and where we're going in the future. And I learned that in the NBA, that there's no such thing as just simply working on today. My question that I ask all the time, and my wife just shakes her head, why are you thinking about this 24-7? And I said, because I'm not so much worried about what's going to happen in this moment. I'm worried about what might happen in the second or third quarter. These things are I'm not prepared. If I don't have a backup plan to my backup plan, I'm always overprepared. The people that have worked for me have looked at me at the odd time. They said, you're too intense. Relax. And I said, I'm relaxed, totally relaxed. I relax by being prepared. You can't have enough information in the, your suitcase. No. This one thing happened to me one time, and it's a story I relate quite a lot. It was how I learned to be prepared in the NBA. We had a, I was the director of game operations for the Grizzlies, and we had a basket in the warm up. Our guy, Big Country, dunked on it, and it shook. And I didn't like the way that it shook. And I was in charge of pretty much anything that went on on the floor. And I think, okay, so I kept my eyes on it. And it started to tilt a little bit. I thought, hmm, I don't like that. And then I said, well, I guess it's okay. So I ignored it, which was a mistake. Five minutes into the game, the Grizzlies are shooting on that basket. And we're losing 21 to 2. We've shot three air balls. So the coach comes down to me and says, Steve. And I said, yeah, I think so. So I went, fixed it, tried to fix it. I said, let's put our backup hoop in. And the guy says, well, that would be a great idea. The one guy, the one maintenance guy working with me. But it's out in Richmond, which is about uh, 12 miles away. I said, oh, that's not going to help us much, is it? And he says, but I do have a wrench. And I was still a pretty young neophyte. It was our first year. And we were learning. And the referee came up to me, Bennett Salvatore. And Bennett said to me, Steve, you know we have to play this game, right? And I started to tell him that I didn't think we we're going to be able to fix it. He says, Steve, we're going to play this game, right? I think I know what you mean. So I'm on the top of the ladder. My mother's watching on TV, and I'm up there with this guy. And the players are all hanging around us, looking at me measuring. And I feel stupid. I got up to the two inches, and I thought of what Bennett said. And I went like this. It's good. The players all walked away. I said, oh, okay, no problem. And the Grizzlies, we started making baskets. We almost won the game, came back. And the team we were playing Detroit, they had to shoot in that basket later and didn't do very well. And Bannock came up after the game and said, Steve, I think you get it. The, the fine for not playing a game is like a quarter of a million dollars. So that would have gone over well. I learned then that best to make sure that everything is in line before the game starts. And I know that's a long story, but there's a hundred of those that tell you that you got to play like that kickoff in the Grey Cup where the guy reached up and touched the ball. Most people would have got, said, okay, well, that just went through the end zone. There's no single. I've never seen that before. Where this sort of inadvertent touch, and it goes straight through. We knew what to do, even in a situation where you hadn't seen before. So that's the rule I live by. What could happen? It's contingencies almost, potentialities. It is. And then there's the other side of it, the fun side. And that is, I get to play with the data 12 months a year. And I really enjoy that because what comes out of it is a deeper look into the game. 
And that's fun for fans to absorb. And then the byproduct of that is TSN and our radio announcers, um, our radio outlets that cover our game and, and people like you get information about the game itself that's much deeper than we would normally have. Which always fascinates me, to be quite honest. CFL players all wear a face mask for safety. With COVID-19 on our field, we also need to wear our masks to keep everyone safe. Do your part. Be a team player. What, what was your background? Where, where did you start in life that would bring you to this? I worked at a utility, BC Hydro, and I was in, I was in strategic planning and modeling the, our power future. I worked in uh, what was known as the corporate financial model. And, and I wound up stuck inside a political struggle between two people, and they laid out two of our serious high managers fighting over who was in charge of it. So they laid me off and 1,500 other people on the same day. I had a hobby and a kind of a thing I like to do around the Portland Trailblazers in the NBA. And they were my favorite team. They had two or three of the players I liked the most. And I had written up something about their history. And, I, and one day out of the blue, a person from the Trailblazers called me and said, Steve, we hate what you're doing and we love what you're doing. We hate what you're doing because you're using our name and your title of this little booklet I produced. But we love it because no one's doing this. Would you come down and, and cause we've got a project, would you join us? And I said, me, I, I'm just sitting here in Vancouver and, but I knew the Grizzlies were there and I knew I had some skills that they might want, but I needed to know how to, to get direct NBA skills. And the NBA is a vacuum. If you put your resume in there, no one ever looks at it unless they want you. And so they invited me down to Portland. I went seven or eight times. And on the last game I was there, I sat beside Stu Jackson, the GM of the Grizzlies. And he looked at me. And he, I had this great big long list of what I had learned. I said, Steve, what is this? And he introduced himself. I said, well, these are the things I think you need someone to do. And he looked at me and says, do you think you can do them? And I said, yes, which was a lie because I didn't. Oh, I could or not. I just knew they had to be done. And I said, well, to be honest with you, I, I think so. And he goes, would you like a job? And I said, you're kidding me. And, he's, and it's a true story. I get almost choked up about it. I meant so much to me. He says, you're hired. I said, as what? He says, we'll figure that out. So I, I arrived and they had no scouting department, but one guy that later got arrested for something. And the greatest general manager in the history of general managers, the greatest person I'd ever met, Larry Riley. And they said, Steve, welcome. We don't have a scouting information system. Would you build it for us? I went, sure. And it was really based on skills of collecting data for analysis and then doing something with it. And I grew from there into, from a stats guy to director of scouting information also other stuff. And then we got sold to Memphis and I went and uh, was in charge of the same things there. Got to work for Jerry West. I still have Jerry's golf clubs. He was such a good guy, but he was really hard to work for. 
that that's the background. Most of it is just being immersed in something. And it's not this sink or swim business. It's the swim or die version of that. And that's the MBA, the way the MBA looks at you uh, from their head office. They terrify you. Whereas the CFL, we're not like that at all. MBA is hard to work for because their standards are so high. So are ours in a different way. So that that's the world sports our fans never see is how these mean nothing positions like I held. In other words, I mean, not in the media, not in the, the ones behind the scenes that are doing all this stuff. And that was me. And I wouldn't have traded that for anything in the world. So how do you leave the Grizzlies to become the stats guy for the CFL? Well, how does that all transpire? I was, lack of, I guess the best word I can say is lonely. I moved to Memphis, my wife, we didn't want to sell our house. You know, I didn't know how long I'd be there. I didn't want to move away from Vancouver where I was born and raised. And so we, we agreed that, that she would spend all her holidays work from work and mine and just commute. But we only saw each other for two months a year. And that's not very much fun. And so after, I guess, four years in Memphis, I had this inkling, why don't I go back to school, do the other thing I wanted to become? And she said, see you tomorrow. And so I went into my boss's office and I said, listen, I got to go. And I gave him a couple months notice. They weren't happy, but you know, they gave me a little plaque that I've got on my desk here. And I left on New Year's Eve. My friend drove down to, or flew down. We drove a rental car back to Vancouver from Memphis through Arkansas and Nebraska and everything. It was a great trip. You need luck Don, in, in life. The people that didn't go from Vancouver, went to the BC Lions to be their PR department, Debbie Butt. And she's a wonderful person. And she heard I was back. She said, Steve, come over with us. We'd welcome your stats knowledge with the Lions. And I've been with the Lions ever since. I'm arm's length. I'm allowed to do the communication type stuff and the, the history stuff, not the operational. And, uh, said so you're hard so i rewrote their history from scratch it was easy and the cfl heard about it they said wow can you do this for us too because nothing done was digitized zero it's all on paper it's not anymore i guarantee you i filled up <laughs> more hard drives with our history and now jeff Groover has joined me in that exercise and we make it better every year so that when Rob Vanstone calls me and says, Steve, when was the last time this happened? My standard's 30 seconds. And I'll just build these files in Excel that I can sort and find just like that. They, they, all, they all think you're some sort of genius. It's not. It's not that at all. It's knowing how to design it so you can find it. My boss is at the CFL. My boss at the time was Kevin McDonald. There's no better person. He's the Larry Riley of the CFL at the time, as is my boss now, Greg. They just said, we're going to do whatever you want. Just tell us where you're going to take us. That's all. What else could you, what more could you want? That is a, an amazing support network. Oh, just what, what analytics are you coming up with now? Like I said, my wife, I was so happy just to come home, be able to do that. And I can work out of my house for the most part. But Memphis was actually a really good place. It's just too far. 
How difficult was it? You mentioned the BC Lions history and you said you pulled that together. What about the other franchises in the CFL? Some of them date back almost to the beginning of the last century and some even further, Hamilton and Toronto. Where, where do you and how do you pull together their story, their stats? Newspapers. The Google News Archive and there's another uh, outfit called newspapers.com. Those accounts of post-game uh, events in those days were really good. So an article about the Riders uh, or the Stampeders win this week, it's, it's actually quite cursory. It doesn't really go into the game itself, whereas it was practically a play-by-play after a, a Montreal uh, AAA winged wheelers game against the uh, Hamilton Tigers. They had a standard that it still to this day dogs me. There's 10,532 players that have ever played even one game since 1936 and before that. So the Grey Cup, I wanted to create a game summary for the 1909 Grey Cup. Well, the standard in those days in reporting was, I'm going to tell you everything there is about, about Cody Fichardo. Oh, and there's that, there's that lineman, Clark. They don't tell you that his name is Dan, just Clark. Well, how do I find out his first name? So that you can give an identity to these people. Because here's the bottom line, Don. I care as much about a guy that played in 1925 or 1958 as I do in 2019 or 2021. They matter just as much. Because the records, they earned them, right? I didn't. I'm just recording it. You want to know. And then the really greatest part is when this person's granddaughter phones you up and says, can you tell me what my grandfather's number was? And I can make a couple of clicks and say, he was number 68. And they go away like, oh my, there's the other side too, which is really tough, where you get a, a memo from this. And my grandfather said he played for the uh, Ottawa Rough Riders in 1961. Well, I've got rosters from 1961 for Ottawa. And I can see that's a team that was almost impossible to get onto because the players all worked in Ottawa and they lived there and they weren't going anywhere. Making Ottawa was really difficult. They make, make one change. So most of those guys were there in preseason that didn't make the team and got cut. There was a gentleman in one of my classes that had played for Balmy Beach in the 1950s. Oh, I love that. And I pumped him for everything <laughs> that he had in terms of team colors, how many games were you a part of, all this sort of stuff. I, I find that history just invigorating. Well, that, that's the good part of building a playoff database. You want to have the lineup. And that's the cool thing about newspapers prior to about 1960. They included the full roster of every team in a little blurb in the paper with the scoring summary. That's the source for um, game participation back in those days. Now, of course, we've got much better ways to do it, but that's your source. And we have our game sheets, but someone, uh, if I find them, they won't like the interaction, took our play-by-plays. They left us the game sheets, the summaries, the totals, but they took the play-by-plays out of the CFL office. So I don't have a play-by-play for a game in 1979. Rob has some for the riders. We've talked about that. For the life of me, can't find those. I can reconstruct a lot of it, but I can't. I don't have that. I'd love it if I could. 
then I can apply today's standards to that data. You could do a drive chart. I guess television, almost all the games were shown at that time, but who has copies? There's that. Now, that said, that was the way that the Grey Cup got way better. In 2010, I'd been on the job two years and was looking ahead to say, okay, well, what would really be of the most value? I had all these Grey Cup play-by-plays. I had all that. I kind of looked at it. I thought, you know, this doesn't make any sense. Or that's a mistake. I know that's a mistake. And so I thought, okay, what I'm going to do is I'm going to rescore every one. So I went back to 1952, which is the first available full copy of a, a Grey Cup game film with every play and not just highlights. Like you can see the sleeper play of 1948 with Calgary and Ottawa. You can see that, or you can see highlights from Montreal and Calgary in 1949, but you need every play. I scored, rescored every play from 1952 to 2010 completely built play by plays. So now we can deal with the data from the 1966 Grey Cup just as well as we can in last Sunday's game because you got the video regular season. That's different. That's a lot more work. Uh, that's 55,800 of them. I've been to the NFL office and I'm impressed with what they do. And the job was just me though, only me. And I, they asked, well, how big is your stats team? When I went there with Kevin and Glenn Johnson. And uh, I said, well, you're looking at them. And they said, what? I said, how big's your team? I said, well, we have 10, but we do have this group of 20 college students that on Mondays go through every play-by-play to make sure they're right. And I said, well, that's, that's awful. That's a horrible way to do it. And, and they went, what do you mean? That's as good as it gets. And I said, no, it isn't. And they said, well, why? I said, because it's Monday, not Sunday. I said, we do that live around somewhere like I've got, I keep a written play by play of everything to go back to. And then I can pause the game, check the play. I have a a guy in Vancouver. His name is Doug page. He is craziness, absolute craziness. We do this together. He does this. I do that. Now that Jeff has joined us, we have this kind of threesome behind the scenes. Every play is correct within seconds of its completion if you know the rule book and doug has great skills jeff has great skills and so we don't have to wait till monday that's why the stats come out five minutes after the game because they've been audited through the game and the nfl said wow that's a pretty good system i said yeah it is it's a lot of work fortunately people don't hear what we say to each other during the game our crews our stats crews are pretty good and in fact, they're very, very good. There's the odd time where that, that you know, how to subtract from 110. That convert wasn't 78 yards. It was 32 at the wrong end of the field. There's lots of stuff. And it's fun to fix that. Or you get the right guy or the official the referee will announce unnecessary roughness on Winnipeg number 84. Well, they haven't got one. But they've got a 94. So you just make it right. Most people don't see that. Game notes, we we see them on CFL.ca. That's your puppy? That's what you put out every time? Yes. What what do you have to do to create them? What what programming do you have to do to get it up to the web page? 
we have um, an Excel stats file. Our stat systems is really elegant up to the game level. And it, the game package we send out is actually based on the NFL's own system. We use the, the NFL's um, foundation and with the supplier. When we rebuilt it in 2016, the CFL gave me a bunch of money to do that in 2016. I had a partner in Vanessa, and between the two of us, we rebuilt the system you see today, CFL Connect. And it gives you a package at the end of the game, but it doesn't add it up. So we have to input the data ourselves manually. And that may sound tedious, but it's not. It gives great power in the ability to, in Excel, add data, analyze it, add it up, do all the calculations, which is a skill that if you do it long enough, you gain certain knowledge of how Excel works. Got that. So now you've got your foundation of information. And then what I decided to do was make, put all the data from previous years into Excel. So we have mountains of this Excel data that we can very quickly correlate, compare. Like for example, I can tell you that the team that scored first this year won 36 out of the 63 games in the regular season. That's easy. Some things are a lot harder. So now you have all the information and you can compare it to past years. And then the, the game note power is you, you can give them quarterback history or the stats type stuff. It's the two or three pages up front of storylines that really matter. And in the Great Cup, I think we did six or seven of them. And so uh, when I left the CFL to go back to UBC um, to be a grad student again a couple of years ago, but I decided just recently that uh, it's good and I'm doing great there, but I would rather, I'm an archeologist outside of football. And I decided, nah, I just want to keep going with the CFL because I love it so much. And part of the deal in splitting our duties with Jeff, who's taking over after me eventually, but he's in charge of a lot of good stuff now, is I still do the game notes because that's most of it's in my head. And that was the, the funny line with building this new system. The supplier, the, the builder comes and says, Steve, what we need to do is download what's inside your head into this program because you need to know our rules, not the NFL's rules. So they said, you don't, you don't have four downs? I said, uh, no, I think we've got some work to do here. Like one specific example, their defensive holding. I, I like to tape NFL games and watch, not so much for the game. I don't, I like their games. Okay. To see how they portray their, their stats. And you catch the rules quite quickly. So defensive holding for them is an automatic first down. For us, it's, it's 10 yards, whatever happens, happens. So if it's first and 25, it's still first and 15. For them, it's an automatic first down. So there's all sorts of differences in the two games, and that has to be programmed in. Offensive holding is different there because they'll take it from where the ball was and move it back, not necessarily the line of scrimmage. It's different. And we have holding, like, for example, if you've already gained enough yards for a first down, they just bring it back 10 yards from where they declared the ball dead, and it's first to 10. There's all sorts of stuff like that. Or um, my favorite, I saw it once, was it was first and 10, and there was an offside. So that made it first and five. And then there was some other, I think, reason to move the ball five yards. And they actually measured. <laughs> By definition, aren't both fives that to 10? Shouldn't it be a first down? Fortunately, it was. Yeah. I, our officials are so good 
that we don't have much, but we see the odd time. And our worst thing is where they, there are a couple of fish that are really so good at it. They're so precise. They care so much. They want to put the ball down between yard lines. Exactly. You can almost see them measuring. I'm going to put it there. What yard line is it on? That one or that one? There's a few things like that. We laugh about that. But I saw it in the NFL game the other night. They had that very same problem. So it's not just us. What brings you more joy, the CFL game or the stats that come with the CFL game? Wow. Uh, I, I love our game more than you can imagine because I grew up with it, hanging out in the quarterback club in Empire Stadium. You know, I, I was there on certain events and my parents, they sat in the 55 and I sat in the end zone. And once a year I got to sit. So my love of the game comes from that. But the stats are just, it's the story that you can tell. And the words I use when we create our play-by-play, -play, I try to make a narrative out of it. It's a little bit, I work with several indigenous communities in archaeology and trying to help them reconstruct their history. I've worked on many residential schools issues and it's not the data, it's the fact, it's the reconnection of people, ancestors, or it's, it's the people side of it. So it's, it's hard, you know, you've got kind of both that really matter. There's nothing like a good stat if, it's, if it tells me something. It's like the riders receivers. They're a core of possession guys. And what changed them was when they got Duke Williams. When you see that, the stats can tell you what impact a guy like that can have. Winnipeg's got that a little bit. Calgary's always had that. They vary the type of guy they have. And you can, so you can see that sort of strategy in their personnel moves. I like both sides of that. It's a great question. Where do you see your department going in the future? And what do you want to see next coming from what you do? I saw it on an NFL game the other night where they dropped these one-liners on the, on the bottom of the screen above the scoreboard. It's called a bug in TV. And I used to be a bug operator for hockey. My business was dropping on one-liners like that. It's developing our connection with the fans by giving them more of this kind of insight, making it more available. That's what I really want. I know that we as a league signed a, an agreement with Genius Sports, and I'll be involved in that along with Jeff, my partner. And we're going to hopefully redefine the way we connect with our fans through them. I don't 100% know where we're going yet, but the excitement is that we're doing it. I think making more of this kind of inside the game stuff available to them, that's where I really want to be involved. That's why I'm not ready to leave yet. And I got more gray hair than most people. And I'll tell you, to still be working at it, I have a very fairly decent role in football ops. Again, I'm blessed, okay? I return that by giving as much of myself as I can. And it's not just me. There's people here that, that really care about this. You know, people in our football ops that no one will ever know they cared that much about the game. And so that's an answer perhaps to your previous question. The, the quality of the people in CFL football operations will never really be known how much they put into it to make it happen because we are not the biggest league in the world. 
And the guy at the top has got all these ideas that they're taking us places as much as you can say CFL 2.0. I think the idea is to broaden our, our influence. And I love it. I, I think the ideas are, are solid. We just have to put them into and produce real product. That's, again, a good thing about our future. We want to do that. Get the pandemic out of the way. That would certainly help for us all in all parts of life. That's the good thing about the CFL. We're innovative and we're willing to try things. Where do you see the CFL in five, 10 years? Is it still a nine-team league? Do the schooners come in? What do you want to see? I see a 10-team league. I see a 10-team league. I want the Maritimes to be involved. And for that, I have to make you laugh, hopefully. We have one player in our league from New Brunswick named Mike Miller from the Blue Bombers. And he is the all-time leading special teams tackler. My mother was born in New Brunswick. And I've been, so half my family is from New Brunswick. Not what you call a CFL hotbed at all. So we joke that I think when we're auditing Winnipeg games that I want to give every special teams tackle to Miller. Of course we don't. If we can get the Maritimes involved too, that would be really something. So I see that 10-team league. I see our global strategy is eventually producing more theatric hands, more players that really contribute from other places. But I also see us in 10 years, our Canadians having a, um, they already have a fantastic role in our league. I'm hopeful that we can get them to be quarterbacks. Uh, Nathan Rourke in BC or Michael O'Connor, those kind of players. Hopefully they get a chance. That's kind of what I want to see. So if we can make the CFL look like that, um, that'd be kind of fun. Where can people follow you? I am not on social media at all. I don't know why. No one's ever said, don't do it. I'm just not a social media type. But I'll tell you, there's one thing I do do. If anyone emails me, at sdaniel at cfl.ca, I reply almost immediately. I love talking to people, Zoom, in email conversation. That I'll do. Um, but just anyone emails into stats requests at cfl.ca or, or just my sdaniel, I love the conversations I've gotten into with people that way, whether it's somebody's grandson or someone who's just interested in what we are and what we do. Stats is it's what the way I define stats, Don, is it's the language of our game. And so whether I'm standing there, like when I was in Memphis, talking to Terry West about who we should draft, I've had lots of funny things happen to me around those kinds of conversations. And to share that with people would be fantastic. We're a league full of stories, whether it's George Reed or, um, you know, Ron Lancaster, discarded by Ottawa, turned out to be pretty good for the team he went to. Those kinds of stories don't happen all the time. Telling them is a really fun thing. And I like sharing that with people. And I don't let my love of the BC Lions get in the way. Although I have to, I have to admit, <laughs> I don't mind telling people how many games in a row Brian Burnham has a reception because they always repeat it on the air. But we do the same any player. They're all the same to me. Have a very Merry Christmas. Oh, this has been so much fun. At any time, I, I, uh, I enjoy being on. It's great.
Thank you for listening to our show. Third Down Gamble is hosted on Podbean. Follow us on Twitter where our handle is at Third Down Gamble. Join us again next time. The Third Down Gamble Podcast. Audio. Worth watching.